Anybody that's listening that wants to get into the animal business, don't cut corners. That's, that's not worth it. Um, the animals on animals life, it's, it's a life and we care about them very seriously. So I would say the perception of the guest is, is everything. Of course, you know, some people are going to say, well, they shouldn't be in an enclosure at all. And we, we understand that. And the element that we kind of say is, well, we need to, we want to educate our guests about, you know, these animals because that's how we learn about them. So we know how to take, you know, who they are and what they do, but it's been something that we take very seriously. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? I'm doing really well. Quick question for you. Yeah. You're a business owner. You, you run your business. Has there ever been any event in over the course of Performance Optimist Consulting's, I think, what, 10 years now? Been in 10 business? years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Wow. That's just really cool. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. But anything ever happened there that totally 10X'd your business? No. I, I, can, I can equivocally... Uh, I can confidently say no, um, because I think if there was anything that 10X'd my business, I would be more than a solopreneur. Mm. It, would, it wouldn't just be me anymore. There's no way that I could handle 10 times the business without increasing my staff. Right. Because it would put a, a large strain on your resources as a solopreneur. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But it's a very good problem to have if it were to happen. <laughs> It would be a lovely problem to have, and I would welcome it. So if anybody right. out there is listening and wants to help me do that, I'm all ears. Well, the reason why I ask is because our guest today, Jared Reed, the general manager at Wild Florida, threw out some very creative marketing initiatives that they did near the beginning of the pandemic. Wild Florida more than 10x'd their daily attendance for a long period of time. And even while it's kind of tapered back a little bit, they're still seeing spikes on certain peak days like Saturdays. Uh, and they're seeing continued growth even over 2020, which was a phenomenal year. So we have a, we have a pretty cool interview coming up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many other people could say that even within a year that they 10X their business, right? Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned that I've been in business for 10 years. I'd have to go back and look have I 10 x my business from year one to now? I'm not sure. Uh, probably, you know, maybe in that, in that time. But, um, you know, to hear about the changes that they had to make, dare I say, the pivots that they had to make, um, all, the, all the even thought processes that had to change. But I think what's most fascinating to me is this wasn't just made from like internal decisions, but it was how they listened to their guests as well that helped them helped inform them of what those changes should be and, and, and how they could continue creating a great experience for their guests while also knowing that there's more and more and more coming. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's something that we've talked about on occasion is the importance of that guest feedback to find out what are some ways that you can improve and continue to optimize your operation, especially if you are in a completely new environment that you are not used to dealing with this many people with this many logistics and backing up the road that leads to your attraction. Uh, a lot of new and exciting challenges that, uh, that they've had to tackle. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that we've probably talked about before with some other attractions is sometimes we're looking so far out for our guests. Like for example, Jared said that pre-pandemic, I think it was 60% of their guests were coming from overseas. They were international travelers, international tourists. And with the pandemic, those folks were not coming. So they had to look closer and they have this, this um, uh, cache of people that maybe they hadn't even um, marketed to because they're like, well, they're locals, you know, would they really want to come here? Are they doing other things? Maybe they didn't put a lot of, of stress on that, but now they kind of had to, and it has blown up their business in the best way. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be one of the big things that we talk about is, is that 10 X in your business and specifically listening to your guests and those two going hand in hand. But we also get to learn a lot just about what it's like to work with uh, Florida wildlife and the gators. And there's just, you know, amazing birds at, uh, and, and not also the nature too, just the, the trees, the swamps. I mean, just all of it that wild Florida sits on little bit disconnected from the hustle and bustle and definitely disconnected from kind of the, what can be perceived as the hectic world of Orlando, which they're very close to overall. Yeah. No. So actually I have a quick question for you. You've lived in Florida. Yes. Have you ever taken an airboat ride? Yes. And what'd you think? Loved it. I think it's fun. It's great. Yeah. 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 They, I, I'm surprised at how fast they can go. Oh yeah. Me too. I'm surprised they can go over land. A lot of them. Yeah, I have no, well, I don't even know when I'm on, I don't know if I'm on land or not, because when you're on the swamp, like there could be like all the lily pads and yeah. I'm like, as long as the driver knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the fun things that Jared talks about, I don't want to give too much of it away, but you know, he talks about when you go out in the water and you turn off the airboat and there's this calm and this quiet and the couple of airboat rides that I've taken, that seems to be like the most calm and quiet I've almost ever experienced in my life. Maybe it's because you were just listening to this roaring, you know, hundred decibel motor. And then that turns off and it's the immediate cut of the, of the sound, but it's just so tranquil. Um, so I, I think that's something that a lot of people could use the, at this time yes. is a little tranquility. I 100% agree. Even as you're casually watching an alligator swim by, which is, you know, is part of the fun of, of going on an airboat ride is, is counting how many gators you see and just seeing them just living their life. You know, you're, yeah. you're in their house, right? So just to just observe and, and keep going. So for now, I would say, let's get to this wild interview with Jared Reed from wild Florida. Jared Reed from Wild Florida, thank you so much for joining us today on the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today, Jared? I'm doing great. So happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So excited to talk to you for the next couple of minutes. So Jared, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Wild Florida? Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I've been here at Wild Florida for about seven years. I'm the general manager and that basically encompasses overseeing the everything here at the park uh, from the airboats to the safari to our walkthrough park to our restaurant and uh, 
really have enjoyed it. I love it. I love the outdoors. Um, not originally from here in Florida, so this is something that is completely new to me. And so excited to be a part of Wild Florida. It's an amazing company. Um, so wonderful to see our guests come every day and be educated and experience what we call Wild Florida. So I'm happy to be here. Can you give us kind of a, a quick overview of, of sort of the landscape of Wild Florida? You're, you're based, I think, in Kissimmee specifically, which is really close to Orlando, but it's also a, a little off the beaten path to, uh, or what is it? Is it Keenansville? Is that the, the name yes, of it? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Which is not too far from kind of the major central Florida attractions, but where does Wild Florida fit into that whole mix and the landscape of all the attractions in the Orlando? Yeah. No, we, we are about uh, 45 minutes south of Orlando in, like you said, Keenansville, the outskirts of Keenansville. And we are, we, we market ourselves as the middle of nowhere. So we, Really, you kind of have to go out through a bunch of <clears throat> down a highway, but a bunch of farm areas and ranch area land to a, a beaten path. But um, yeah, we're roughly two, three hundred acres here, and you know we just have, like I said before, we have the airboats, and so it's it's unique because really not much in the Orlando area. You know, there's not big lakes that people go on in the, the specific Orlando area where they can do airboat rides. Um, and obviously, the, the acreage out here where we can do that safari. And um, so really, really, uh, it's, it's within that driving distance of the parks, we would say, where people come out and visit us all the time because we, we're not too far, but we're, we're still within that, that range of most people wanting to go outside of their vacation to Orlando. You know, Jared, a couple of seconds ago when you were kind of describing wild Florida, if for the people who are not watching, you did kind of air quotes when you said, We'll show them wild Florida. Um, and I'm wondering if, if you can expand on that a little bit, because I think a lot of people who are not from Florida, when they think of Florida and they think of the parks, they think of Universal or, or Disney and SeaWorld. And some people never get outside that bubble. So having lived in Florida, I know that there's a lot of wildlife, a lot of nature, if you get beyond that kind of Orlando bubble. So can you describe a little bit more about what you mean by quote unquote wild Florida? Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing that people don't really know or, uh, is that we actually, Orlando is considered the headwaters of the Florida Everglades. So, you know, everybody knows the Everglades are kind of South Florida. So, you know, Orlando has that um, Reedy Creek, Shingle Creek area with these, these creeks roll down into chains of lakes. And we're in the, um, we're off of Lake Cypress, which is again, about 45 minutes South of that, where you're complete swampland. So we've got you know, you've got the cypress trees, you got a lot of the cattail grass, you have, um, you know, lily pads and just swamp area where it's pristine. Um, we're one of the only airboat companies that has no uh, development around. So when you do go out on our tours, you don't see anything about the wild. So we, when we say wild Florida, we're saying that you're, you're going to experience what Florida was like thousands of years ago. And some of these creeks have been around for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, hundreds or thousands of years. And, you know, original trees of some places. So you're, you're looking at, at that in addition to a lot of the wildlife that you might see in Florida, like, like the bald eagle, of course, the American alligator, wading birds, you know, turtles, you know, a few water snakes, um, raccoons, just a, a variety of wildlife. And so you really are getting into their habitat where they live and experiencing what they, they would experience. Yeah. And what's really cool with that is that you're really able to share that with so many people who kind of have this preconceived notion that Florida was born when Mickey Mouse emerged 50 <laughs> years ago. And being so close to Orlando, being able to, to kind of serve that demographic, 
Um, can you talk a little bit about how you're able to, I would say, tap into Central Florida's tourist market? And I know we're going to talk a little bit about how you've shifted that to locals during COVID. But I, you know, has has that kind of always made up the the guest demographic as far as people who are people who are in town and then are able to now go a little bit south of of the main area to get to you? Yeah, no, we will we will give all all uh, praise and glory to you know Disney and Universal these big parks that you know really do attract people to come to uh, the Orlando area. You know, we we hoped in the future to be one of those those attractions where people are coming to Orlando to see Wild Florida. We we have repeat customers that that feel that way about us, but still have a lot you know millions of more people that we want to have come down to visit us. But yeah, we um, we just basically the kind of a way that we would market ourselves is uh, away from the hustle and bustle. So people, you know, have done the parks or kind of the, you know, more of the metropolitan, metropolitan areas that they want to come out. And really it's, it's slow, calm, no lines, just walk at your own pace, really enjoy um, just the outdoors. And there's, there's no lines or anything, everything here. You know, if you have a reservation for our airboat, you have a reservation. So you, you get on when you come, our safari you can go through as many times as you want in the day there's really no lines you know our park or walk through park is walk at your own pace different variety of shows that are multiple shown multiple times throughout the day so we really are trying to market ourselves as the day away from the hustle and bustle that's kind of one of the things that we've really presented or marketed ourselves as and it really feels like you know you're going for those people who might want to get away from the hustle bustle hustle and bustle but also kind of get in touch with nature a little bit, right? It's so easy to be disconnected from, like you said, the, the cypress trees and the, and the lake and the lily pads and the wildlife. It can be so easy to get disconnected from that in our lives, but it can also be very rejuvenating to be in that environment. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what that does for your guests? No, absolutely. One of my favorite things on occasion, I get to drive the airboats and we have our captains, but uh, in, a, in a, you know, Every few often, every so often, I get to, to take a, a boat ride out. And we have a, a spot on our lake that we go out and we just we pull up, you kind of turn off the engine and just listen. And it's just so peaceful and so calming. And we just say, This is this is Florida. You know, I think you're absolutely right by saying that people associate Florida with Disney, Universal, maybe some golf, you know, some beaches, but there's a lot of calmness just within the state itself, especially out here. And so, yes, I think people don't necessarily even know that they don't even know that so when we come out we say look you just you're calm it's it's quiet it's fresh air um you know no no like pollution or anything and and i think they begin to understand and be like wow this is this is really amazing i didn't even know this about florida and that's one of the things i really enjoy about my job is or our, what we do here is we're educating people not only on the wildlife but just on florida and what what it's had to offer for years and years how has that specifically played a role in the way that you maybe communicate these offerings to your guests over the last year and a half? And so as, as you're talking about this and the, the calm, the tranquility, personally for me, several weeks ago uh, or a little over a month ago, month ago or so, uh, my wife and I, we, we got COVID and our baby, we like all three of us, we had it and we were just at home. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. And while we were sitting at home, we booked a trip several weeks out to a state park. Cause I said to my wife, I said, I just want to go look at nature. I said, I just want to go look at trees. We live in the city anyway. So, you know, we're, we're a little somewhat disconnected from that, but 
for whatever reason, the gears turning in my mind said, I need to go just breathe fresh air kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So how has that played a role in, in everything that we've been going through since yeah. March? No, that's a, that's a great question. It, it's really been the answer for everyone. I mean, everybody has said that, especially during this COVID time when, when we were lucky enough to be one of the only parks, or if not the only park open, uh, we had hundreds and thousands of people coming here. But even now, we still get this it's just, I just want to go out and just breathe fresh air and just relax and not be around people because there's still several people and visitors that are very COVID sensitive, which we are, you know, take that very seriously, but there's really, there's open spaces. You know, if you go on an airboat ride, we've limited our capacity in our boats. So there's, you know, you can go out there and not feel like you're rubbing shoulders with someone I mean, in our safari you're in your own car, you can roll the windows down, you know, you, you don't have to feel this, um, you know, tightness around you and, Oh, people just really, really enjoy that. And we, we hear that constantly. That's one of, I think, the, the most rewarding compliments that we get here is that they, they love it here because they just have space and it's not, it's just not hectic. And so to answer some more of your question, I mean, mo most people have really never even thought about that. And so when they come here, they're like, this is what I want to do from now on. I mean, I've always wanted to do the Disney or the Universal, these other places, but now they're like, I want to go and just breathe fresh air and be out in nature and see what, what Florida has to offer. And it's maybe attracted them into kind of what you said, maybe other vacations, let's go see a state park somewhere else because of nature is beautiful. And so it's, it's helped a lot with that because people still want that space. Um, they don't want to be around a lot of people and all the time. I mean, daily we get that. I didn't think this place would be as amazing. As it is. It's so beautiful. Wow. This is a lot more open air than expected. This is, it's a, it's a very rewarding compliment that we hear. So Jared, for, um, uh, you know, keen attraction pros listeners, they may recognize your voice because this is actually the second time you've been on our podcast. You were the first contributor when we did the attraction pros live from the Florida attractions association conference. And you had a great story about how wild Florida really pivoted during COVID. And in some ways you said that was almost the best thing that ever happened to you. So can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, I want to preface it with saying we were extremely blessed and, and lucky to be able to have our attraction open. And I know there's many attractions out there still struggling. And so um, I, I say my words lightly when I say that we were very blessed and, and like being bold, it was the best thing that's ever happened to us. Now, outside of the fact that we were the only place open, I mean, of course, that's a huge benefit it really, we were able to tap into the Florida, the Florida resident market that we just really had done very little marketing, if, if any. Now, we've primarily been an international attraction for a lot of these tourists from the UK and, and Europe and South America. And so now we had, you know, I don't know, a couple million people in this area, you know, this, this city that are now looking for something to do. And so we really hit the pavement hard with promotions and blogs and billboards about not having to wear a mask. I know it was still in that time where masks were mandatory, but in your own car, you know, you didn't have to wear a mask. And so people were like, well, I don't, I don't have to do that. I can, I don't, it was all hands-free. You know, they didn't have to even get, you know, roll the window down and give us a ticket. They could just show us on their phone. And so it was, it was amazing because all those people now that we would have worked years and years to get, now have come out here and we still we, we keep track every day of local tourists for, or you know united states domestic also local florida resident versus international and 
still to this day, a year and a half later, we're looking at still having more Florida residents visit our attraction every day than any other uh, demographic or category. And so that it's just amazing to be able to open our minds, uh, open our uh, broader horizon for that marketing effort that we we maybe planned on maybe getting some of that, you know, a few years down the road. And now here we are where it's just bombarding us. And it's been amazing. And pivoting was, you know, it was a challenge because we kind of planned for, like I said in the podcast, you know, two to 300 people a day, where on some weekends you're getting three or 4,000. And we, we didn't have an infrastructure for that. But we, we pivoted, we figured things out, we expanded lanes, we made the safari a little bit bigger, we expanded our safari. So it was, it was amazing. It was a very stressful, amazing thing, but very lucky and blessed to be able to have been open when so many others were struggling. Did you ever wonder if that would work? Because uh, you've focused so much on tourist business. Did it, it kind of, were there questions of like, will Florida residents want to come see this when they have maybe easier access to the swamps and lakes and, you know, and, and airboats and things like that? Why would they want to come visit us? What, what were those conversations like early on? Yeah, no, I, I think um, initially it was more like we thought, well, we're the only place open. So we kind of even like downgraded ourselves of, oh yeah, we, we are an amazing attraction, but people are just looking for something to do. But then we just started hearing such good feedback and saying, you know, people really like this. And why don't you, you know, had so many suggestions about this or that. And we really grew because of the suggestions of our visitors. You know, we might need more animals here, or we need this, we need to sell this here, or let's do this. And uh, so no, I don't think that we thought that this would happen. Um, not nearly this fast, but uh, it's it was you know, it was just amazing. It was amazing that it did. So, Jared, can we um, peel back that onion a little bit? As Josh and I like to say, you know, you said you went from having like two to three hundred people to three to four thousand. Um, so, what was that like? Like, what did you have to change with your staff, with your the layout, with everything? Like, I'm I'm just curious, kind of how that that change happened. Yeah, we, the, one of the most prevalent things we had to do is we had to hire a traffic cop. <laughs> you know, didn't ever imagine to have, have to worry about traffic. You know, we're on a public road and you're off, off of a public road. And for over a year, every um, Saturday um, and sometimes Fridays, we would hire a traffic cop to come and direct traffic because you know, it's a public road and people want to get to the public lake. So that was, um, it was a little bit of a struggle with that aspect because a lot of the locals um, didn't necessarily want to say good for you while Florida is like, well, you're inconveniencing us. So, you know, bless the people of St. Cloud and Keenansville, you know, they've, they've come to love us now, but it was a struggle initially. Um, we we did a lot of, uh, pre-check-in, uh, you know, we had people walking up and down the lines with cell phones or tablets, checking guests in instead of having to go to the kiosk where they would normally check in. So we had, you know, higher, we started out with two people in the kiosk now, even to this day, we're still running five to six and Saturday is seven. And so we had more staffing, you know, when we were feeding our drafts, you know, we had a little bit of a line. Well now, you know, some people were waiting for so long, we had to cover it, put fans and misters in, um, had to really start ordering bulk lettuce because, you know, a little bit here and out Saturday, you go through 10 or 15 cases of lettuce, um, feeding the animals, you know, we, I mean, we started out with animals, but as we got more and more people, they're like, we need more and more. And so we were getting more animals. So our, our food budget had to be increased. We had to have more roamers. We have four people in our drive-through safari, specifically roaming, making sure that guests are staying in their vehicles, abiding by the rules, not getting out of their cars and touching animals. So we had to, had to do that. We actually built a safari barn to, man, you know, to maintain all of our 
know, side-by-side buggies and the feed. So it just, the list kind of was endless with that. But uh, biggest thing was the staffing. And luckily we were able to have so many people who were furloughed or you know had let been let go. So we had a plethora of people to choose from. And so, yeah, we, we had to pivot in so many ways because during that two or three months, all the rest of our park was closed. So we also used some of our own staff, but uh, to come come on and, and help out Safari. But um, really, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was awesome that our team came together and did that. I was very, very proud of our team. Yeah. So what I'm curious is to kind of take this and align it with kind of the conversation we were having just before this, when your attendance 10Xs or more than 10Xs in such a short period of time, how do you balance that with the fact that you're promising them that this isn't going to be hectic, that they're coming to this really nice, relaxing, tranquil environment and connecting with nature? What was that challenge like for you? Oh, that, that was a huge challenge. I, I got to be completely honest. There was a little bit of that, well, quite frankly, for about the first month, a lot of that where people did say that to us. And, um, so we had to re- rethink the, the path, you know, expanding the path so people could actually pull off the side of the path instead of having cars constantly, you know, behind them kind of honking saying, go forward. Uh, we started doing scheduled times where people could come during either the morning or the afternoon so that people didn't always just, you know, let's say we had 3000 people, not all of them show up between nine and 12. Um, you know, we had some shifts in the afternoon. We started doing pre-bookings and once we hit a certain amount of people, we cut that because we knew people were still going to show up. So we might get an extra 300 walk-ins when we were primarily wanting to be reservation based and, and, you know, during this pandemic time. So we were, that helped cut that back. I and mean, we had to kind of cut down on the business that we were uh, you know, receiving, but we cared so much about our customer experience that we were willing to sacrifice you know, revenue because of that question you asked that we don't want our guests to say, well, this was a waste of my time coming here because I felt so rushed. And, so it took us about a month to work that out. And uh, luckily we did because it, it worked itself out. And you know, still still to this day, I mean, we, since we've expanded our safari, another two miles of road, we feel like that is completely out the window now. You know, we, we feel like we can do about 500 cars in four miles worth of road. And you know, that's never gonna happen at one period of time. So we, we thought about that when we were expanding the safari of making sure that there isn't going to be a traffic issue inside and that people aren't being pushed. So it was a, it was a hard thing to, to cope with, but we really quickly learned how to fix that. And luckily we did because those, those complaints or suggestions kind of went away. <laughs> uh, Jared, a minute ago, you were talking about listening to your guests and certainly you were just talking about that, you know, with, with the answer to Josh's question, but I'm curious you know, even during that process, were there things that surprised you that your guests were saying or things that you're like, where is this coming from? You know, I'm just curious if there was things that were kind of out of the blue or things you weren't expecting. Yeah, I think uh, we had, one of the surprising things was we felt like we got a variety of animals and um, you know, we had initially had 185 to 100 acres for our first plot of area for the safari. And and we spent a lot of money and got a lot of animals. And so a constant suggestion was we need more. We, you know, we thought, well, we don't want to pack so many animals in there to where they feel like they are in enclosures or cages per se. And so we, we realized, well, people need to want to see more. And we you know, did some studies and figured some things out that we felt like we, if we got more animals, it isn't making them look like they're in an enclosure and they don't have the space. That's one of the things our, our guests do love about our safari is that it's 
there's two currently at the time there was two paddocks about 50 acres each. I mean, that's plenty of land, you know, no animals. They can do whatever they want. We have shelters. They can go inside and eat. And so we, that was one thing that surprised us because we thought we had had plenty of animals. And uh, luckily we had made some good contacts where we get some animals pretty quickly. You know, it's, it's not an easy thing now because of that unfortunate freeze that happened in Texas and, you know, the Midwest. That's where a lot of animals and livestock come from currently. And so that was, that was uh, interesting. I think uh, the hands-free aspect of it, you know, I, even we, you know, we masked and gloved and everything. I think we, I took it very seriously, but I think that was something that our guests were very, very serious about. And so that whole mobile app portion of it, or, you know, touch-free, uh, you know, we just had to work some details out there, you know, cause there's certain things we need to see, but we you know, had to figure out well, how can we see that and they feel comfortable without them having to give us something. So that was a little surprising. Um, and I, know, I just think the idea of the, the, the traffic and the lines, you know, having to have a, we, we actually had put an order in to have a little wait time clock. People coming down the road can see, you know, 30 minutes till you can get in the safari. So just having to communicate more. We have people walking up and down lines telling people how long the line was going to be and how long you have to wait. Never thought we'd have to do that, but that helped a lot. Like, oh, I'm 20 minutes away. Okay, I, I can do this. It's an hour and or two hours. No, I'm not going to do that. So three things on the top of my head that I can think of that were very surprising that I didn't expect. Sure. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, Jared, another thing that you mentioned a, a few minutes ago was that uh, you had to amp up the hiring, obviously, because of the, the increase in demand. And that at the time that you were doing that, there were still many people throughout the industry and throughout the region that were either laid off or furloughed. And that you kind of came in really with, with an advantage to be able to uh, be able to attract a lot of talent. Um, but then not too long after that is kind of when there was a little bit of a, a talent shortage. Can you talk uh, or kind of walk us through maybe like the ebbs and flows of how that on from being able to recruit quality talent, uh, you know, since, uh, since you reopened and since all this happened? <laughs> yeah, no, it, we, we were really lucky to be able to, um, a lot of those furlough, I mean, and still some, several uh, Disney employees and things had come down and worked for us for that extended period of time until their furlough ended and they went back. So we were able to get really good, high quality, specifically animal, because again, we were the only, the only portion that was open, at least for a couple of months, was the animal portion. So we were able to tap into that. And you know, what we, we knew that once that furlough ended and that we were up front and they were up front with us, they wanted to go back to the Disney or the SeaWorld or Universal. Um, but what it, what it did do was a little surprising is that, because it's specifically with the animal portion, um, is that people recognize these, these employees that we're, we're a legitimate attraction. You know, we, we have really beautiful animals and we take really good care of them. You know, while Florida wasn't necessarily a big name prior to the pandemic. And what is that like? It's in the middle of nowhere. I wonder if they, you know, really do take care of their animals or take care of their, so, uh, that was nice to have so then they could go out and say hey you know if you're looking for a place to work you should look you want to work some animals really hands-on great experience but check out wild florida so when it comes to the hiring of the animals we still to this day we have like a wait list of people who are waiting to get hired here uh, because we just we have really good connections with several other zoos and, and parks around the state but the other side of it it's been it still has been a challenge um it hasn't been as easy. So we, of course, use every avenue we can, you know, the Indeeds, the Facebook, we do, you know, word of mouth. We 
we try and go and find people at these cus- these places that have really good customer service and say, come on out to wild Florida work for us, you know, and come, come visit, come do a site visit of, of a place to work. You know, it's something we never thought we'd have to do, but it, it um, it's just still, it's still been a challenge. And we, we are at getting to the point where we're able to offer specific like career type jobs here um, because we're expanding. But before the you know, pandemic, we didn't necessarily have as many career path or career jobs. It was more of the front line, which, you know, we know there's kind of high turnover with, you know, the high school age or, you know, college kids that are getting a job during that. Once they graduate, go on to whatever they graduated in their degree. But it, it still to this day has been a challenge. But as far as the animal part, very, very easy. We can, if somebody leaves, we can find someone within days. <laughs> Not that you want them to leave. Yes, you're right, you're right. Of course. <laughs> um, Jared, you know, we've been lucky enough to, to speak to some other uh, folks that have animal collections. And I'm just curious from your perspective, um, aside from the animal keeper part, keeper part, what are some of the unique challenges or even opportunities that you have when you have an animal collection that's part of your attraction? Yeah, I think the concern of the, of the guest is something that is, is right there at the top. You know, we, I'll publicly say this, we make all of our enclosures two to three times larger than required by code because we want to kind of put those customers and those guests at ease thinking that these animals that are in enclosures are, are, are have a bigger area to, to take to, to survive and live in. Uh, we do a lot of interactions with our animals so that we can take them out of the enclosure, walk them around. So that is something that we, we definitely do. Uh, I don't know. I, Taking care of, I mean, their diets and making sure they get fed well, that's, a, that's a, another thing that um, we get heavily, you know, people, we get like FWC and USDA come down and inspect us and make sure that we're, we're doing you know, what we're supposed to do with the diets. Um, upkeep on the, the enclosures themselves. You know, we have, we don't have an on-site vet either, but we have a gentleman from in town that comes out um, once a week and checks on the animals. If there is an issue, we, we've trained kind of ourselves to do some veterinary work here, uh, you know, mild veterinary work, but I don't know, it's, it's just the public view of animals and their safety and their care is something that we, we've taken very seriously, obviously. And we know that the one thing that we can say is that we know that the animals are what bring people here. So, you know, if we're not, if we want people to come see, we need to take care of the, the product that we have. And we're very lucky to have a real amazing collection of animals here from what we say alligators to zebras we've say a to z and um continually acquiring animals even to this day yeah uh you mentioned that one of the reasons why your enclosures are two to three times larger i think is you know substantially larger than to code is because of the guest perception of them uh, so how important is that is that guest perception element compared to actually meeting the standard or meeting the code uh, knowing that kind of the, the perception can be the reality if the guest oh, yeah. doesn't know what it's that, that's that's all the importance honestly i mean if we if you want to get into anybody that's listening that wants to get into the animal business don't cut corners that's that's not worth it um the animal on animal's life it's it's a life and we care about them very seriously so i would say the perception of the guest is is everything of course you know some people are going to say well they shouldn't be in an enclosure at all and we, we understand that and the element that we kind of say is well we need to we want to educate our guests about you know these animals because that's how we learn about them so we know how to take you know who they are and what they do but it's been something that we take very seriously so any suggestion um 
animal health, you know, because even in our safari, almost a couple of times a day, we'll get calls and say, hey, we're out here in the safari from a guest. And they'll say, we see an animal, it, has, it looks like it has a, it's limping a little bit. Radio, our team goes over there and helps take, you know, let's take that animal off, off and, and see what we can do. We do, you know, we do morning checks every single morning on our animals here in the park and out in the safari. But, you know, if something could happen during the day that we don't necessarily see because we have, you know, hundreds of acres. So that is, that's the most important thing. Uh, of course, you know, you have to have a budget and that's, that's difficult. You know, sometimes we have to make difficult choices when it comes to an animal. Um, but if you have a plan in place, like an end of life plan, or you, know, you want to, you want to give them high quality food, you know, budget for those types of things. Just know that going in that you, you should not skimp when it comes to the, to the, the care of an animal because the guests will notice that very quickly. Yeah. Well, and I think it was a really great question about perception because you talked about those enclosures being two to three, two to three times bigger than code, but the guests don't know what the code is, right? right. <laughs> they don't know. So it is all their perception to see that, hey, this animal has a, an enclosure that looks like it's big enough, you know, so that they're not cramped and that they're comfortable and things like that. So, Absolutely. yeah. So, you know, thinking about, you know, you've got the, the drive-through safari, which is kind of like just wild animals being wild, right? Yep. And, and then you've got the, the, the walkthrough portion where you have animals that are more in enclosures that people can kind of get a little, little closer to. So is there a different dynamic there just from a guest experience standpoint where you look at them kind of differently because one is walkthrough and one is drive-through? Yes, I can, uh, I can tell you to this day, we have not had one necessarily complaint or, or comment about the safari animals when they're with their enclosures, not one. And, and we have hundreds of animals out there. So yes, when it comes to the walkthrough park, we might get a comment or two a day about, uh, you know, unenclosure or the animal looks really tired or why is it doing this? And I think it's because they're obviously within the walls of an enclosure, but uh, they can get more up close. You know, sometimes they might see in our safari a zebra that's hundred feet away, you know, but, they can come into our park and see a bird that's three feet away from their face. So there's, there's a completely different dynamic there that hardly, if, if it ever have had a, an issue with a, a complaint with the enclosure, or sorry, the safari, because it's open. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been, been great to be able to, to kind of not have that issue come up because it, it is. And I, I like that. Yeah. So you've got the drive-through safari, you've got the walk-through and the encounters and the animal shows, and you've got the airboat tours. What's next? Kind of where, like, where does it go from here? What are, you know, what do you think the offerings uh, have, have opportunity to expand it? Yeah, no, I, I think one thing we've discussed a few times, you know, and so I don't want to say this is going to happen, but is, is like a zip line um, and maybe doing a five or six zip, zip line through the safari, you know, over the giraffe area or over the crocodile pond or the gator pond. So there, there's that. We, in addition, when we did the initial, well, the second expansion of our safari, you know, the owners here did acquire another parcel of land that could even do another expansion of the safari if we wanted to do that. Um, so that that's an area. And just one of the things that we've, you know, one of the questions I was asked was, you know, what what can you see the most growth in, you know, initially? And I think it's more of our animal encounters. Um, we, you know, we offer four or five different animal encounters, but every animal we want to be able to educate our guests with so we can do more encounters. You know, it, it takes a long time to get an animal ready to meet with, with people. 
you know, they just don't want people around them. You know, you have to train them to do that. But one, uh, one animal that we are going to be acquiring in 2022 that I received permission from the owners to say was that we are going to be getting rhinos. And, um, so we're having, you know, hopefully by the end of this year, we're going to have built their enclosure area to where we'll do like rhino, rhino encounters going inside with them, but outside and, you know, be able to feed or pet them. We, we just, you know, the owners really want interactive education to happen. And so that's an area where I, I see mo the most expansion going on. I mean, our airboats, the only unfortunate part about airboats is there's a capacity. You know, you can only do a certain amount of people in a day. <clears throat> our boats only can hold 17 people. So the safari, that's why the safari has been so amazing is that there really is no cap there. You know, we can, we can do more, you know, meet and greets out in the safari. We can expand it and do something else. Uh, so that's, that's where I would say the growth that I see happening is in those, those two specific areas. You know, Jared, you talked about the animals not necessarily wanting to be around people. I think there's some people that don't want to be around other people too. <laughs> they have to be trained on how, what that's all about. Um, I want to switch uh, gears just for a little bit because you were just talking about the airboats and I've had the, um, uh, the pleasure of, you know, going on some airboat rides when I lived in Florida and, you know, looking at your website too, you've got a, a emblem down at the bottom where it talks about the Coast Guard. And I know that there's a lot of uh, laws and licensings that goes into, you know, being able to operate an airboat. So uh, can you kind of walk us through that just kind of from the safety perspective? So people kind of understand what goes into becoming an airboat captain. Absolutely. You know, so that we take uh, pride in that. That's a huge, and that is a selling point to a lot of these guests that come specifically with corporate groups. You know, they want to know that their guests are going to be safe. And so to, to get, a, to get a, a captain's license, you have to have, a, a, I think it's about 720 days on a boat with a motor. You know, it doesn't mean you have to have 720 days of airboat experience. And so, you know, myself growing up, we had um, a sailboat and a boat. And so I was able to acquire, I think you can acquire hours from when you're 16. And so, of course, you know, I spent days and days on, my, on those boats and with my family. And so... You have to first off acquire the hours and then you have to do a, it was two, I think it was 14 days straight of classroom time. So we did it from like six to 10 PM during the week and then eight hours a day on each of the Saturday, Sundays for those two weekends. You're learning the rules of the road, uh, you, know, you know, because this license isn't an airboat captain's license. It's a 25 gross ton captain's license. So I could go and captain a vessel out on the ocean. Not that I want to do that. But so you need to learn the, the rules of the road out on the ocean in navigable waters and waterways. You need to learn, you know, lights and symbols of boats, um, you know, obviously the directions. They actually had a full day course on charting. So in case your navigation system goes down, you know, you learn how to chart with minutes and degrees and all that stuff. So you do that. And then um, every five years you have to re-up that. So you have to acquire... I don't think it's 720. I think it's somewhere around the 400 days of, of experience. Uh, so you have to continue to, to do those, uh, you know, drive the boats. You just can't stop and then get your license. But we also get inspected. The other thing that uh, is vitally important is we get inspected by the Coast Guard. So since they're Coast Guard kind of vessels per se, um, once, uh, twice a year, we have to have the Coast Guard come out and inspect our vessels. Every five years, they do a whole inspection. So they pull the boat out of the water, they look and make sure it's all you know, safe. And then we have to do quarterly trainings with our captains on man overboard trainings. So, you know, throw a dummy off the boat, 
how, how do you put your boat into the wind or, you know, if a fire's on the boat, where do you, you know, you need to turn the fuel off. So pretty much anything safety that you can think of CPR, we have to be CPR trained and first aid trained. And that's every two years. Uh, it's, it's very serious stuff. And so because we are in navigable waters, we have to have that Coast Guard license. And, you know, down in South Florida and some of these other areas where people can just be, you, you could be an airboat captain if you want, never having driven an airboat before. And, you know, that, that works for some, you know, it's a little under, un, uneasy for me to want to get on a boat with somebody I know who doesn't have a safety license or a Coast Guard license or the boats don't have to be inspected. So that helps when we, when we present that to um, our corporate people who want to come out. And also when guests come and get on the boat in order for us to take off, we're required by the Coast Guard to go over safety training. So we tell them if something happens to me, you go to this orange box, here's the flares, whistles, maps, here's a fire extinguisher. This is how you do this, this, and this. And uh, make sure everybody understands. You kind of have to give a head nod from everyone to make sure they understand. And then we can start, start the experience. Do you find that those, um, those types of, uh, I guess, elements that go into the, the, those like safety instructions for guests uh, just increases and boosts confidence in guests knowing that they're somewhere, you know, who absolutely sees safety as the number one priority? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, one, one of the comments that guests will make, you know, because when I do get to drive the boats, we have a, a railing around our boat, you know, and that's required by the Coast Guard. So, you know, it's not open. So, you know, you have to go through a little gate to get on the boat. And every single time you pull up to an alligator or something, people are like, well, is that alligator going to jump in the boat? Well, no. Oh, we've got that railing. We're safe. We're safe. I'm like, yes, you are. Um, so, yes, it, it definitely does. People notice that and they, they do care about that. I think when I say, when we say we're required by the Coast Guard and I have a Coast Guard, you know, issued license, I see a lot of times I go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Because not everyone reads that little or sees that little symbol at the bottom of our webpage and, you know, it makes people feel confident and actually makes me feel comfortable because I, I kind of know what I'm doing, at least know the rules of the road. Again, it's not for a airboat, but now having had years of experience, I feel more comfortable. Jared, from a, from a, I guess, guest experience standpoint, what are some of those other kind of frequent comments or frequent, frequent questions that you get maybe out on the airboat or, you know, people maybe in the, in the walkthrough safari that you're just like, Duh, of course that's not good. You know what I mean? Because we all have those questions that we get from guests sometimes. So I'm curious what, what some of your favorites are. Um, I would say on the airboat ride, we get a lot of people that ask, because you know, there's cows. Do, 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 do alligators eat cows? Um, you know, a big cow, I'm like, no. I get it. You know, there are animals out in the wild, but you know, a huge bull is not nearly the same size as a six-foot alligator. But that, um, you get a lot of questions about... Um, just the, the difference between an alligator and a crocodile, because I think the TV shows and everything kind of depict these animals uh, as like born killers. And, you know, you don't want to swim in there. You don't want to do this because they're going to kill you. And really alligators are extremely scared of, of humans. They're very solitary and they want to kind of be by themselves. Crocodile, on the other hand, that's the difference. They, they're born killers. So I think that's something that it's fun to educate people because they're like, well, and you know, you can see, locals out here on the, on the lake swimming in the water and people are like, what? I would never swim. Well, I don't say, I don't know if I would ever swim either, but alligators don't get around people. Um, the only time there's ever alligator issues is when people are, you know, actually disturbing the alligator, which I you know they shouldn't be doing anyway. So that's probably something out, out here in the, in the lake, but in the safari, um, I'm trying to think of what, what might be one that might be surprising. Um, 
That's a good question. I might have to get back to you on that one. Right. We'll, we'll have you back for part three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, everything you were just saying there about uh, kind of the difference between alligators and crocodiles and that alligators are uh, naturally very afraid creatures uh, just reminds me of. So I, I went to uh, I went to school at Florida Gulf Coast University, did a couple of years there in, in Fort Myers. And it's um, at, at the time there had still been a lot of land yet to be developed. It was a lot. It was very marshy, I guess you could say. Probably a lot of it, I think, still is. But, you know, there's this beautiful lake. Um, and you could like take out sailboats and, you know, and things there. And I remember there, there being a sign on the lake that said like alligators, like maybe present, they have a natural fear of humans, but feeding them can take away that fear. So I remember seeing that sign and just always stuck with me. And one morning I took out a sailboat and it got kind of caught in like a very swampy marshy area. So the water I think was like a couple feet deep and I'm standing there and it's so murky. I can't do it seeing it. And, uh, the, um, the water safety guy like came out to like help me with the sailboat and i was like there are no gators in this area are there and he's like no this is pretty much where they hang out actually i was like all right cool let's get this boat back up (laughs) hopefully no one's feeding them hopefully they're all they're all swimming away so um but yeah i mean that is something that you know a lot of people just assume that you know alligators are you know are vicious creatures because you know they they have sharp teeth they look scary they look very intimidating same thing with sharks too i'm sure we probably go down that route but um but uh and and that also then stresses the importance that you have to be able to help communicate uh, that to people from an education standpoint so um another question i have and and kind of uh, along the lines of guest experience but going back to what we were saying about the increased attendance is uh, if you see that being a sustained increase kind of as the pandemic starts to wane and, you know, Florida, I know for the, for the most part is uh, a lot of it is back to, I, I guess, business as usual prior to, don't want to say 100%, but, you know, kind of uh, a lot more, much more normal than maybe some of the, the rest of the country, rest of the world is, do you see that being continued that you're going to be able to uh, continue to engage Florida residents and gain repeat visitors from locals or, you know, immediately tap back into the tourist market and being able to kind of uh, harness all the success that you've had in doing this uh, throughout the pandemic and keep it going into the future? Yeah, no, I, I think if I would have said that maybe in like January of this year, I probably would have said we, we, we really didn't know where to go because we, we thought that Florida market would kind of die off and we expected the international market to come back and still still heading back. But like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, every day we're still seeing more you know, Florida residents, I know the international tourism is here, but then just, you know, domestic travelers. And that's been really awesome to see, uh, even, you know, in these slow periods of time. So yes, I mean, those two, two or three months when we were the only ones open, you know, those are crazy numbers. We have not hit those numbers, but maybe a handful of times since then, except on the Saturdays, but we've, we've seen, and we're on track this year to do a 20% increase in our guest attendance than 2020, which 2020 was the best year we've ever can have even dreamed of. And the exciting part is that we still have no international tourists here. So we, we feel like really the sky's the limit. I mean, prior to the pandemic, 60%, roughly 60% of our business was international tourism. In addition to corporate travelers, well, we haven't had hardly any, if, if any corporate groups and we don't have any international tourism. I mean, and so we're, we're projecting another, you know, hopefully a huge period of growth in 2022 that um, so it should it should build and just the expectation is yeah we feel like we still have a lot of room to grow and the Florida market although 
die down a tad because all those people have now these other attractions, thankfully to go to, um, for, you know, for those other businesses, they're still, still leading the way coming here. So that's, that's been really awesome to see. And that's why we track that. We didn't necessarily track that before the pandemic ever. It was just kind of like a big group of numbers, but now we want to know so we can know if we're doing well and if we need to market to these specific zip codes or these areas do certain things to, to attract more locals here. Yeah. Well, Jared, this has been a, a fascinating interview and uh, I certainly appreciate your time. It makes me want to go out and spend some time in nature. Uh, maybe take an airboat ride, although I don't think there's many of those here in North Carolina, but I'll come down and visit you at Wild Florida. Um, if somebody wanted to know about more about Wild Florida or even get in touch with you specifically, where would you send them? Yeah. So first off, go to our website. It's www.wildfl, like Florida, fl.com. Um, take a look at all the offerings we have. We have a variety of different things outside of just, you know, the airboat, the safari, the park, we've got animal encounters. We have a restaurant. Um, we do different things, uh, you know, corporate events, you know, different avenues that way. Um, but, or you can call us at 407-957-3135. That's to get to our reservation number. I'm more than happy to field any emails, talk to anybody that has some questions. Um, my email is jared, J-A-R-E-D, at wildfl.com. Um, we, we feel like we were, I know we're an amazing attraction. I don't feel like that. And we hear that every day from our customers. We really pride ourselves on having amazing customer service and really letting people experience what Wild Florida is like. And that's one, probably the most, one of the questions you'd asked earlier was what, what my favorite thing about my job or one of the, I just love being able to come here and see people happy and experience something that I myself have never experienced until moving here to Florida. I'm not from here. Florida is a beautiful state, beautiful animals, beautiful nature. Just everything's amazing about the state. And so love to have everybody come out and take a, take a, take a tour with us and you can reach out to me and we can try and figure something out. Awesome. Jared, uh, like Matt said, this is uh, just such a, a great conversation. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. So thank you so much for your time today. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.